Daniel chapter seven tonight. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, um, you had to be careful because, you know, if you did things that were a little on the edge, you could get in trouble. But, uh, um, you know, like things that scare kids and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but this particular camp I was at, um, the senior pastor came and spoke and, and I was just there and, and I, was, I was kind of part of a thing that he wanted to do and he wanted to tell this story. It was a full moon at night and we were at this, this camp where there was this, uh, this, this lake and um, he wanted to tell this scary story around the campfire kind of thing. And so he was out there telling the story by the lake and it was about this cowboy that was um, falsely accused of you know, stealing cattle and the neighbors all ganged up on him and, you know, and it told this kind of creepy story how they, um, you know, they used, they used to, you know, they took him and hung him in a tree, but, but then they found these eyeball, cow eyeballs nailed to fence posts and, and all this creepy stuff. Um, and then they threw his body into the lake, the very lake they were sitting at that night. And they were, you know, he's telling this horrible story. Well, meanwhile, I'm under the water out there in the lake with... <laughs> with my snorkel, you know, and I'm under the water. And I, I went to one of those, you know, mask stores that have the rubber creature from the last, la, Lost Lagoon or whatever, uh, rubber mask. And I had some seaweed and, and I was under there just kind of breathing and I could hear the story. Um, but, the, but the thing is, he had a system where he would throw rocks in the water and on the third rock, when it splashed, I was supposed to burst out. Um, so sure enough, and he said, you know, and they threw his body in the water, splash, number one. And, you know, and every time, every night on full nights, people would come out and they'd hear the water rustling, splash, number two. And then he kept talking and then finally splash, number three. Well, I came out of the water, you know, and, and I came walking out and the kids, man, they were like, you know, there was like 150 uh, fourth, fifth and sixth grade kids. They were just gone, man, just gone. All except for one. There was this one little, uh, you know, sixth grade dude, little boy that was there and he just stood his ground, man. He stood there and I'm like, you know, coming up to him and he's like, hi, Brett, hi, Brett. <laughs> That's what he said. He, he said it like three or four times, hi, Brett. And I just went, and he went, Pure! he took off too eventually. Uh, he wasn't quite sure. He was pretty sure, but he wasn't quite sure. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, <laughs> kind of freaky. Well, that's really pretty much sums up Daniel chapter seven. <laughs> Daniel chapter seven has quite the, the beasty, you know, sort of uh, crazy monster looking critters that are, that are mentioned. And, it's, and as we looked at on Sunday, we've already seen the, the, the basics of this prophecy in Daniel chapter two. Um, and we have to kind of remember as we get into this sort of how that looked, uh, Daniel chapter two. Let's, let's remind you, in Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar saw a, you know, a statue in his dream. And that, and that statue was the head of gold, um, you know, the breast and arms of, of silver, uh, the belly of, of brass, the legs of iron, feet of toes, uh, feet and toes were iron and clay. But, um, but uh, each one, and then the, the rock, you know, that was cut without hands. We looked at this in Daniel chapter two. The Babylonian empire would be the head of gold, Medo-Persian empire, the breast and the arms of silver, the Roman empire, the legs of iron, and the feet and the toes, part iron, part clay, um, which is out of the old Roman empire. Now, remember, we talked about a gap that you need to kind of be mindful of. Um, 
the gap between the legs and the feet. Uh, and it's, it's sort of a variable gap that we see in Bible prophecy, and we're gonna see it tonight again, uh, because the old, what, what happened after the Roman Empire? Well, as it turns out, the Roman Empire was never really conquered. It just sort of faded in history, and, um, and it's sort of been resurfacing in modern times. Uh, when they signed the Treaty of Rome uh, in the 1950s and started bringing back old Europe, uh, the European Union, some of us believe that that might be part of this formation of this, this, uh, this kingdom that's yet to come. The feet, the, the feet and the, the 10 toes that popped out of the feet are 10 kings, and it's in the days of those 10 kings, Daniel chapter two said, of the 10 toes. That's when the second coming of Christ is gonna be, the rock that was cut without hands, Jesus. As the rock tumbled down the mountain, smashed this statue of Nebuchadnezzar into pieces, and then, of course, Jesus would set up his everlasting kingdom. And that's really as far as Daniel 2 takes it uh, with Nebuchadnezzar's dream. On tonight's study, we see this not from man's perspective. That's what Daniel 2, we, we saw this on Sunday. Daniel chapter 2 speaks of man's perspective. But Daniel chapter 7 speaks about the same prophecy from God's perspective. And it's not a, uh, you know, an Oscar award like this guy, uh, the, the statue. It's actually a beast and it's an ugly thing. It's bloody and grotesque. And that really is what Daniel chapter seven is really all about. Um, now, some things you should know about Daniel, the book of Daniel, especially in these latter parts of the chapters um, are not necessarily in cr chronologic order from this point on. Uh, we've seen the chronology of, you know, the Daniel when he was a young man, Nebuchadnezzar, and then we saw Belshazzar, and then we saw Darius, and that was all chronological up till now. Daniel chapter seven lies somewhere between chapter four and five in the chronological order. You should know that. Um, and uh, uh, this is probably when Nebuchadnezzar was still the king, uh, when Daniel received this vision uh, or dream. Um, now, um, uh, there's one more rule I'd like to kind of remind you of before we uh, get into this. Um, and that is don't forget the nature of Bible prophecy versus the nature of, of um, theology or doctrine. Um, there is a difference. Uh, you know, um, they're, they're in the same family, of course, because they're from the Bible. But I love how doctrine is never changing. I hope you understand that. Doctrine doesn't move. Uh, and that's something we should be aware of. Uh, God, as the old, uh, you know, gospel hymn, you know, from the deep south, God don't never change. Um, and that's true. Uh, I love that. That's a great old, uh, you know, bluesy uh, hymn that Blind Willie Johnson used to sing. Uh, he's God. God don't never change. And it's true. Um, theology doesn't change. The, the doctrine of God's teaching of the word, that's what the word doc doctrine means, the teachings of the Bible, doesn't change. And by the way, if it's new, What? It's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Uh, be careful about this because, you know, there's this temptation for pastors and people that are writing books, uh, people on blogs. Uh, they like to come up with new stuff that seems like, oh, wow, new and exciting. And I think there's a real danger there to write things that are new uh, when it comes to doctrine and teaching. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Remember that. Now that, that's as it relates to doctrine, but when you talk about Bible prophecy, this is something that I believe is in fact uh, uh, changing in the sense that um, we're starting, you know, the Bible talks about how prophecy will be sort of revealed 
as time goes by. Um, and that's kind of an important thing to remember. In, in fact, um, remember what Daniel chapter 12, we'll, we'll jump ahead here in this verse. Daniel chapter 12, verse four, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. The book of Daniel would be sealed up uh, until the time of the end. Um, and then Daniel chapter 12, verse nine, it says, and he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many of these prophecies we're gonna see Daniel give us in Daniel chapter seven through 12. Daniel's gonna walk away confused. He's gonna walk away astonished, in wonderment, wondering what in the world does that all mean? But I love Daniel. He doesn't let it you know, thwart his faith in God. He doesn't, oh, I don't understand it, so I'm gonna walk away from the Lord. That's what some people do, by the way. Have you ever seen a person who doesn't quite get or understand the Bible uh, or some doctrine of the Bible and so it shakes them to where they just kind of walk away? I can't figure it out. So um, I hope you don't do that because there's gonna be a lot of things you won't figure out. Just, just the Trinity alone. If you, if you say, I'm gonna figure out the Trinity. I remember doing that when I was 18 years old. I said, I shall figure out the doctrine of the Trinity. And I got everything I could find, studies, books, read all the old dudes, the dead guys, you know, I read them all. Uh, but you know, Spurgeon, you know, uh, Finney, Torrey, uh, you know, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, you know, all those guys tried to find, you know, what they said about the Trinity. And you know, they had a lot of nice things to say about the Trinity. And they pointed of the evidence of the Trinity in the Bible. But the thing I've concluded is nobody can figure it out. Uh, they all kind of end with saying, here's the Trinity. We see it here in the Bible. We see it there in the Bible. But truly the, the Trinity is a mystery. And that's what Paul even sums it up. Great is the mystery of godliness. That God, that's the Father. Manifest in the flesh, that's the Son. Uh, glorified in the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, great is the mystery of godliness. And, and it's just beyond our ability to understand. So don't let things you don't understand in the Bible derail your faith. Um, if God was a, a, a God small enough to us for us to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. Um, but we worship a God that's huge and way past our laws of time, space, and physics. It shouldn't be a wonder that we can't figure stuff out. Daniel was good at this. Daniel knew that some of the stuff he wrote about, he's like, I'm not gonna figure this stuff out. And the Lord even says, seal up the words of the book till the time of the end. And he said, don't, remember, don't forget, go your way, Daniel, for your words are closed and sealed up until the time of the end. Now, with that said, if we're living in the end times, which I believe we very well could be, um, it sure seems like every bit of evidence I can find looks like we're living in the last days. What does that mean? That should mean you and I should have a greater understanding of the book of Daniel than Daniel did. I wouldn't say that about any other book. Uh, you know, I, I think John the Apostle knows more about Jesus and the Gospel of John than we ever will. Um, but Daniel's book, he didn't understand a lot of it. It even says that as, as he closes up each chapter. I just went away, astonished, not knowing what I was writing about. Um, but we get to figure it out why, because I think we're living in the last days. Let me give you one quick example of that. So much of what the book of Daniel uh, uh, talks about in the last days, particularly here in his prophecies, is about the nation Israel. And, um, you know, by the way, the church is fairly absent from Daniel, the book of Daniel. The reason why is because I believe we're gonna be raptured out of here and both the, the first 
part uh, of the Old Testament with the Jews, that's, Daniel writes about that. And then the last part, after the church is gone, raptured, then Daniel writes about the tribulation period, the Antichrist, uh, the end that way. But Daniel really largely doesn't touch the church age. He, it, that's the gap that I was talking about. The, I'm gonna call it the gap variable. We'll bring that up again. That's the church age. But as it turns out, when you read the book of Daniel, let's just say you were living even as recently as 500 years ago. You know, um, what would you think about Daniel's prophecy? Would you get it? Would you understand what was going on? The answer is absolutely not, and I'll tell you why. Israel was not even a nation and they hadn't been for almost 1,500 years. If you lived during the time of Martin Luther, what would your eschatology look like? Well, it would look like amillennialism or preterism. What's that? Well, we've talked about that. That's where basically you don't take any of the prophecies of the Bible literally. And the reason they did that is because there was no literal Israel to fulfill those literal prophecies. And that's where those, those um, eschatological views came and started to, started to settle into certain denominations and what have you. Um, and it's amazing how people are still thinking that way. Even though Israel has become a nation again, it's almost like that erased people's understanding of, of Daniel's talking about a literal Israel and literal kingdoms and literal prophecies that are gonna happen. But a lot of the Christian church today doesn't believe that because for centuries, uh, they thought everything must be figurative because Israel doesn't even exist as a nation. Uh, they ceased to exist AD 70 when the Roman Empire crushed Jerusalem and the Jews scattered all over the world. So there's no literal Israel up until, everybody should have changed their notes back to the old ones. May 14th, 1948, Israel becomes a nation again and beats all the odds of, that never happened to any kingdom, nation, or tongue in the history of the world to be scattered for 2,000 years only to be brought back to be a nation, only to be brought back to be one of the most powerful nations in the world, and then all these other prophecies falling into place about that nation. Like, like people should just read their Bibles and realize, okay, time to stop being uh, a figurative uh, interpreter of the Bible, but you know, you'll be very rewarded if you take a literal translation of what, or interpretation, I'd say, of, the, of what the Bible's teaching. Daniel makes no sense at all if you're taking it all figuratively. But now that Israel's a nation and you see all these nations coming into place, and I'll show you even tonight, maybe some of the things that are shaping up to really fall into Daniel 7 category uh, that'll be interesting. So that's the one thing about Bible prophecy that you should know. Because sometimes your amillennial friends, you know, or the people that are preterists, they'll say, we're just following the oldest school of Bible prophecy. You guys believe something really relatively new. You'll hear them say that. Um, there's even false claims that the, the rapture is something that was invented by Darby, you know, back in the 1800s or 70s, whenever they say, you know, they, they go back to certain times. But um, I believe the rapture was talked about uh, all the way back to when Paul, the apostle, was on the planet. Paul said, you'll be raptured, caught up, harpazo, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about that. So the rapture is something the Bible's talked about from the beginning. Uh, but there's people that say, oh, we, we go with the old. That's actually kind of an insult to yourself. If you're saying I, I'm sticking to the old because the Bible says prophecy will unfold as we get closer to the end and we'll start to understand it better as we get closer to the end. I hope you understand that, that's a key thing. That's why Daniel 7 made zero sense to people um, when it came to the Roman Empire and what happened after the Roman Empire. Because the Jews, they kind of would have thought that wow, after the Roman Empire, then the Messiah is gonna come and set up his kingdom. They didn't get the gap part 
where the church would, would sort of put the, the, the Jewish kingdom and nations on hold through the church age until the fullness of the Gentiles, then when they're raptured, all the, uh, the Jews will be saved after that. And that's gonna happen during the tribulation. So um, if I'm going too fast and if you're new to this stuff, don't worry about it. You'll, you'll catch up and get it as we go. And it's kind of fun. The, the more you study the Bible, the more the stuff starts to fall into place and it's kind of cool. Well, um, all that to say, um, Daniel chapter seven uh, begins with Daniel having sort of a dream. Let's take a look. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions on his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Now, now um, it's interesting because um, this is, you know, at the transition time um, when Daniel uh, sees this dream. It's, it's kind of interesting because if you remember Nebuchadnezzar, who was just... Uh, Right before this happened in Daniel chapter seven, he had the, the, the kingdom, he, he was large and in charge, but he ended up you know, dying and, uh, and then we went through that history, what happened after him. So somewhere, uh, you know, um, suddenly Daniel gets this dream and it's right at the, it says here, the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Um, dream or vision, which one is it? Um, he had a dream and a vision of his head upon his bed. The Bible says, by the way, and this is something not to be weird or heebie-jeebie, the Bible says in the last days that um, you know, uh, young men will dream dreams, old men will have visions. We'll start to see dreams and visions kind of in a Daniel-esque kind of way. And I, I worry about that because uh, I've, I've lived during times where the church uh, in, in the kind of the hippie Jesus movement where everybody was having dreams and I don't think it was the dreams, I think they'd been smoking a little too much weed. Um, so it's a little hard to discern sometimes. Is this from God or is this just LSD? Uh, bad trip. Uh, that happened. I'm not kidding. That actually happened. But fortunately, that's kind of died down. But one thing you should be aware of is in the last days, the dreams and visions that Daniel has here are gonna, I think, gonna start to come back. Um, what do you do with the dream? Do you write a whole new book of the Bible with it? No. Do you come up with new theology in it? No. Um, what you do with a dream or a vision is you do what Daniel does. Oh, interesting. And then tuck it away. That's all you do. You say, that's interesting. Tuck it away and see how it unfolds. If it's from God, it'll unfold. And the Lord has prepared your heart with that dream or vision. But you don't change doctrine or theology with a dream. Uh, everything needs to be measured against the word of God. And if your dream or your vision con contradicts the word of God, you can know that's not from God. Uh, very, very easy to discern whether a dream is uh, from the Lord or just the pizza you had the night before. Um, uh, by the way, here's a few other tests. What if the, the dream um, puts strife and contention in your heart? As it turns out, the Bible says that, that's not from the Lord at all. Strife and contention is not from the Lord, but peaceable, uh, easy to be enacted, full of good fruit and without partiality. Like in today's New Testament day, I think the dreams and visions God's gonna give us is gonna bring more of a peace, even than that of Daniel's time. Uh, that's James chapter three, by the way, you can read that chapter. Well, Daniel sees this dream during the time, uh, the year, the very first year Belshazzar becomes the king of Babylon. Um, and then um, it says he, he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. So writing it down, write the vision, write the dream. That's a biblical notion as well. And it says, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night and behold, 
the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea um, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from the other. Now, let's define a few prophecy terms. And by the way, um, there's, a, there's a thing, fancy sort of term that Bible scholars use and it's called expositional constancy. And what that is, is when you see certain things in dreams and visions or in prophecy or in, in words that are sort of mysterious, one of the things that's kind of fun is to compare it elsewhere in the Bible and you start to see um, that there are patterns and things that mean stuff. That's my way of saying it. Stuff that means stuff. Um, uh, like for example, the sea. Does anybody want to take a stab? Maybe you know, you prophecy buffs. Whenever you see in Bible prophecy, the, the, the sea, things coming out of the sea, what does the sea symbolize? Anybody? Good. A lot of you guys know this. The nations of the world. Uh, that's, that's exactly right. Now, by the way, um, it, it, the great sea here um, it means the nations of the world. Um, by the way, there's some places um, where you can sort of uh, understand that. Uh, there's, and by the way, this is what I mean by expositional constancy. Um, in the book of Revelation, in the same sort of language and the same sort of vision and verbiage and stuff, John uses the same uh, idea in, in Revelation chapter 17, uh, verse one. It says this, I'll just read it to you. It says, and there uh, came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked to me saying, come hither and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, uh-oh, sits among many waters. Well, what waters are those? Well, later on in chapter 17 and verse 15, it tells us what those waters are. It says in Revelation 17, 15, and he said unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and language, and the 10 horns, interestingly enough, uh, verse uh, 16, thou sawest on the beast, there shall, uh, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Bro, what's that about? We'll talk about that when we get to the book of Revelation. <laughs> That's quite a verse right there. But it tells us that this sitting upon the many waters uh, is actually the sea, which is the nations of the world and what have you. So that's just kind of something you can learn when you read about the sea and there's things that in the book of Revelation comes up out of the sea and you can realize that's talking about the nations of the world. Uh, just, just something you should know about when it comes to biblical interpretation and what have you, uh, kind of cool. Well, so Daniel says uh, there's the four great beasts. Um, where do they come from? You know, it says the four winds of the great heaven strove upon the great sea. Uh, the four winds, interesting word. It's a, it's a word, of course, this part of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic, but the Aramaic word is almost the same as the Hebrew word, ruach, which is the wind, which is the same word for the, the spirit. Even as the spirit moved upon the waters during creation, uh, if you recall that whole thing. Um, but, uh, but as it turns out, um, this is talking about the, the nations of the world and the Holy Spirit's, you know, uh, it says that, uh, you know, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. The spirit starts to move. And what happens? It's the spirit that's moving that makes this, this uh, sort of beastie sort of deal happen, which is pretty crazy. Well, it goes on. And it says uh, in verse four, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the uh, wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man 
and a man's heart was given to it. Okay, so the first beast that we have is, well, we, we say lion with eagle's wings, but I, I need to um, show you that this is sort of a simile, um, you know, because it says here, it says the, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. So it wasn't a lion, it was like a lion. Um, and so that's the thing we have to realize, these are all just like a leopard or like a bear, like a lion, it wasn't actually a lion. That's important to know. But um, you know, the thing we looked at and talked briefly about on Sunday was the lion has eagle's wings and, um, and uh, that, that speaks of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, of course. We know that from Daniel chapter two. Um, and as it turns out, um, that was one of the ancient uh, symbols of Babylon uh, was a lion with eagle's wings. Um, that was a common symbol, by the way, throughout history. You've seen old flags and stuff and banners that nations flew and armies flew with a lion with eagle's wings. Um, that, that, that's what the Babylonian symbol was. Um, and that, by the way, was part of their deities and their gods that they would worship, uh, the, the Babylonians. But that was their symbol. When Saddam Hussein was rebuilding Babylon before he got kind of hung up, um, uh, sorry, um, he had the same symbol flying over his new construction there near Babylon. He had the same you know, lion with eagle's wings sort of imagery. And you can see that in, in uh, those rebuilds, even today you can see some of that. So that's kind of interesting. Um, so you got the, the lion that speaks of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But what's this thing where it says, you know, um, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. See, this is interesting because this tells us that the lion was very likely directly speaking of Nebuchadnezzar himself, not just Babylon. And we know that because what happened? Well, if you remember the story, remember when Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up with pride and was walking around Babylon saying, isn't this the great Babylon that I have built for my majesty, remember that? And the Lord turned him into a beast uh, and he grew like feathers on his skin and was walking around chewing cud with the cows. We saw that in our previous study. And this, this doesn't talk about his fall, downfall. This actually refers to when he got his sense back uh, remember it says that after seven years, his, uh, his senses returned to him and he realized that there was only one true God and that's when Nebuchadnezzar became a believer. This is referring to that when it says, um, he was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man. That's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was down like a, a, a cow on all fours. And now we see him coming to his senses. This is when he, his eyes were enlightened once again and he stands up and he was giving no longer a beast's heart, but a man's heart uh, was given to it at that point. This verse four is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the new heart that was given to Nebuchadnezzar when he became a believer. We're gonna see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I believe that because of what, what he said. He declared his belief in the one and true God. So that's this first empire, the Babylonian kingdom led by Nebuchadnezzar. The next one, um, it says here in verse five, and behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised itself up on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, arise, devour much flesh. So this next one is the bear. And we know this as the Medo-Persian empire. Now, a bear is a good uh, uh, description, by the way, um, to the Medo-Persian army and, and what have you. It was a huge army. Um, powerful army. 
the Medo-Persian uh, Empire led by uh, Cyrus. Uh, kind of an interesting uh, thing about them. By the way, this is a huge army. They kind of threw, they were, they were powerful because they just threw bodies at people. Like, like so many soldiers, it was they just, they kind of tended to outnumber everybody and that's kind of how they won. But according to Herodotus, by the way, um, that ancient historian, Cyaxeres uh, 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 was able to accomplish um, a lot when, and during this era of the Medo-Persian Empire, they, they sort of changed the way warfare was fought. And for you history buffs and, and battle uh, uh, people who like to study these things, he, um, this guy, Cyaxeres, uh, and I'm not sure that's how you pronounce his name, but um, he was the first to divide the troops into regiments and, and make separate units out of the spearmen, the archers, the horsemen, um, who had previously all been jumbled up indiscriminately. That's actually uh, exactly the words of Herodotus. He said that um, before this time in history, they would just jumble everybody together as a big army and just go after people. But this was the first army that actually broke into regiments, spears, archmen, horsemen, uh, all that. Um, and that's what history tells us. So this became a very organized ar army and a very huge army. And that's, that's interesting that it's called a bear because the Medo-Persian army would sort of lumber throughout all those kingdoms and empires and just sort of crush. Uh, and um, by the way, it says here of this bear, it says, and, and it, it uh, raised itself up on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it. This is new information. Daniel 2 didn't tell us this. Uh, the arms of silver and the you know, arms and breasts of silver. Nothing about three of anything, but here, this Medo-Persian empire has three ribs uh, bloodied uh, in his teeth. Uh, what's that all about? Well, um, most scholars agree, this is speaking of exactly what happened. Um, the Medo-Persian empire crushed Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. Uh, it was kind of the, the, the trio of nations. The Lydians, the Egyptians, and the Babylonians all crushed by the Medo-Persian empire. And that's probably these three ribs that are being referred to. Remember, when Daniel's writing Daniel chapter seven, this had not yet happened. So they didn't know any of this. This was all prophetic to their time. We get to look back through history and say, wow, look, there were three nations crushed by the bear, uh, the Babylonians, the Lydians, and the Egyptians, as it turns out. Um, and, um, and this, this uh, arise, devour much flesh. So the Medes and the Persians, Cyrus, Darius, they took over that whole region of the world uh, and Darius would become the leader <clears throat> there in Babylon. So that's the bear that's being talked about. Um, then we move on, verse uh, six. And after this, I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads and dominion was given to it. Uh, okay, this leopard, uh, as it turns out, as the bear was sort of uh, appropriate, uh, for the Medo-Persians, so is the leopard for the, the Greeks, uh, led by Alexander the Great. They were a small army. Uh, Alexander conquered the, the, the known world with very, very few soldiers relative to the Medo-Persians and others. Um, and he was known to be able to move his armies. If the Medes and the Persians were famous for getting organization in their armies, the Greeks were, were famous for being spry and they could move their armies quickly. Uh, and that's how Alexander would just quickly move everything and he'd move quickly and, and before anybody else could, you know, get their armies ready, Alexander was already all over them. Um, and, uh, 
And, and so what are these four you know, wings and these four heads of the leopard? Um, again, Daniel wouldn't know because this had not yet happened in history. But those of us that know the way it, sh- it would shake out, the leopard, Alexander the Great and the Greeks, interesting thing happened. Um, Alexander, you know, when he was uh, 29, he whined, there are no more worlds for me to conquer. Um, at 29 years old, like, what are you gonna do now? I conquered everything. Um, uh, and he died at around 33, um, uh, some say 32, depends on who you talk to. But the thing that was most troubling is here Alexander conquered the world, but didn't really say who was gonna be uh, in control after he died. He didn't put his will together. Uh, that's tough when you own the whole world uh, and you don't have a will. Uh, who gets it? Um, history actually tells us, and, and um, um, you know, there's, it's debatable, but, but um, people, uh, as he was dying on his deathbed, they say, who, who gets the kingdom? And the answer was this, he said, uh, to the strong. That's all he said. Uh, that's just asking for trouble, if you ask me. To the strong, uh, good luck, go, and then he dies. It's like everybody's gonna fight for it. Well, actually, to the strong, some interpreted that to be, okay, who are the strong in uh, Alexander the Great's kingdom? Well, as it turned out, there were four generals that were uh, you know, the strongest in power during the time of Alexander the Great. Cassander, uh, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. These were the four generals of Alexander. And historically, this is what happened. The kingdom was divided very clearly into four uh, sections. Cassander got all of Europe. Lysimachus got all of Asia Minor. Um, Ptolemy got Egypt and Seleucus got Babylon, Asia, and Syria. Um, and um, you should note these. The reason I'm going in is not just to wear you out with history, but this is gonna come back into play uh, later on in the book of Daniel. You should know these, uh, these generals because there's some more prophecies that are gonna be even more uh, distinct and even clear about these guys. Uh, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids are noteworthy. Um, and they're gonna go into battle with one another. And Israel was sort of the speed bump between the Ptolemies and the Seleucians and then go back and forth. And it's gonna cause all kinds of trouble for Israel. Um, and it would lead to ultimately Hanukkah. But I get ahead of myself. I won't get into that tonight. Uh, that's coming later. Uh, but uh, th- that's what happened. Alexander the Great broke up into four kingdoms, four generals. That's probably what these four heads and four uh, wings of the uh, fowl are on the leopard. Um, so th- it's just, again, it's paralleling everything in Daniel 2, but instead of a golden statue or whatever, it, these are beasts that are kind of weird. So you got the, the first one, the lion with the wings, the second one, the bear with the ribs and the teeth, and the, the third one, you got the leopard or like a leopard uh, with the wings and the heads. Um, and that brings us to the final one that doesn't have a delineation. God doesn't give in his word, is it a lion or bear or whatever? No. It's just called the beast, interestingly enough. Uh, and this beast, let's read about it. It says in, uh, in verse seven, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse or different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had 10 horns. Now, so far, you can kind of see easily the parallel from Daniel chapter two. Because the, 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 the statue had the iron legs, Rome, east and west Rome, 
And out of that came clay and, and iron feet with 10 toes. And so we tracked that. We got the uh, iron fist of Rome with the iron teeth. Uh, by the way, speaking of iron and what have you, um, Rome was famous for using iron more uh, effectively than any military up to that time in history. The Iron Age of Europe saw the expansion of several military powers uh, from the Athenian Empire and the, uh, and the Empire of Alexander the Great. They all started using iron, but none, however, would, would uh, reach the size or scale of the Roman Empire. That would be huge. And the Roman Iron Age, as they call it, began long before Rome became an international empire. The Romans were around long before they became the giant empire that we know them historic, historically. But um, it was partly thanks to the iron weapons that the Roman military uh, made them so effective. Um, it, you know, it was the iron in the hands of Rome's enemies that eventually led to the downfall of Rome. Um, isn't that ironic? Uh, but um, anyway, I, I digress. Um, but, but iron was, was sort of the mark of Rome. And that's why you always hear the iron fist of Rome and iron because they used iron to crush the, uh, the nations. And the Bible uh, definitely makes note of that, which is kind of interesting. Iron teeth and it devoured and break it in pieces, the, the stamped the residue in the feet of it. Um, but it was diverse. Now the 10 horns, we know what those 10 horns are from Daniel 2. They're 10 kings, the 10 toes. We know they're, they're, they're kings. And because, remember what it said in Daniel 2? In Daniel 2, it said the 10 toes, in the days of these 10 toes, which are kings, in the days of these 10 kings, that's when the Messiah is gonna come. So that's an interesting hint. That should interest you and I. Because um, remember, uh, there's a gap. You say, what happened to the, the um, you know, other empires that came and went? After the Roman Empire, you know, where, where are the other empires? Remember, the stopwatch prophetically is related to the Jews and Israel. And it was during the Roman Empire, AD 70, when the Jews ceased to exist as a nation. Stopwatch stops prophetically. And that gap, and we call it the variable gap because we didn't know how long that time would go before the clock would start again. That's an important part. Uh, that's how we don't know when, when the Lord's gonna return or any of that stuff. Um, because there's this variable gap. It's called the church age. When Jesus died on the cross, Jerusalem was destroyed, the Jews were scattered, the church age began, and the church scattered all over the world. And the church of Jesus Christ has been alive and well, and it's called the age of the Gentiles. And if you're unclear on this, by the way, read Romans 9, 10, and 11. It explains our role, uh, the Gentiles. Now we've been grafted into the vine of the Jews. Uh, they're the root and the branch, and we're grafted in the church we were saved because of the Jews, Jesus, the Jew, who died on the cross for our sins. And, and then when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, all of Israel will be saved. That's what the Bible says. So this gap is built in uh, between, if you would, in Daniel chapter two, the gap is between the, the legs of Rome and the iron feet and the 10 toes. There's a gap in there where uh, we don't have Charlemagne or Hitler or Mussolini or any of those other kingdoms and you know, Hitler or whatever that came and tried to crush parts of the world like that. Those aren't mentioned because that was during the church age. Are you guys with me on that? That's an important part of Bible prophecy to understand that gap of the church age. Most of Daniel doesn't even mention anything about the church. There's a few little hints that we can get. I might even show you one before we're done tonight. But um, mostly it's all about the Jews, during the Jews to the time of AD 70, 
And then it's gonna pick up again in the last days what God's plan is for Israel. Um, so that variable gap is seen somewhere in the, you know, the iron feet and clay. Um, and then out of that comes these 10 kingdoms or kings. In this illustration, it's the horns. Now you say, well, why horns? As it turns out, this is something we don't really have in our culture or uh, most of us don't realize this, but in ancient times, the horn was always a symbol of authority and power. That's an important thing to know. In Bible times, they use the, the horn as a symbol of power and authority. Um, so suddenly you got these 10 horns, speaking of 10 powerful kingdoms or kings um, that are gonna come up. And that's, so far we're tracking with Daniel 2. But now in this next verse, we're gonna leave Daniel 2 and get some, some really new information. It says in verse eight, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them uh, another little horn before whom there were uh, three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Now, by the way, you and I, do we even know what this is for sure? Um, the answer is no. Why, why, Brett? You knew the Babylonians, the Medes, Persians, Greeks, uh, Rome. Why don't you know who these kingdoms are? Because they're not yet happening. Are, are, I'm just trying to make sure you understand. Now we're like looking from Daniel's perspective. This still has yet to happen in the future. Uh, we don't know who these 10 kings are. But here's some evidence and some of the things you should think about. Uh, where did the toes come from? Anybody? Rome, they came out of the old Roman Empire, the two legs and the feet. And where do these horns come from? The 10 horns come from this beast that is the Roman Empire. But then what's even more interesting is well, who would these kings be? And, and there's all kinds of debate, by the way, on who these kings might be in the future. Um, for uh, probably the majority, I'd say, of the Bible prophecy folks that I uh, talk with and, and uh, like to read and listen to and stuff, um, most believe it's probably um, a reforming of some kind of the old Europe. Now, when we saw the Treaty of Rome and the nations, the, 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 I remember when they became a confederation of European nations, we're like, that's it, the 10 toes. And then there, there was you know, seven, eight, nine nations, 10 nations, 11 nations, 12, 13, 14, 23, 27. Uh, and we're like, wait a minute, uh, that's not 10 toes. That's, uh, um, it is interesting, if you look up the European Union today, they have 12 stars um, uh, on their flag. Uh, which, which is funny. I remember there was a symbol they used to have of 10 stars, uh, which that made us think, that's it. It's the European Union. And they're gonna, now one thing about the European Union, by the way, is the nations come and go. You guys have seen that if you've been watching that through the, the years. Um, it could be that by the time the, the end comes, those other nations will bail out, like the Brexit sort of thing, uh, where people get out of the European Union. Uh, but uh, it'll be 10 powerful kings that seem to be uh, out of the old Roman Empire. Now you say, okay, so those are European people, kings and nations. Yes, but here's another view that you might just be a little bit sensitive to. The Roman Empire was huge. You need to oftentimes look at a map of the, of the largest version of the Roman Empire. It included, you know, Europe, but it also included uh, parts of Asia Minor and, you know, Jerusalem and Jordan and down all the way, even through Egypt and the, the North, North Africa. You know, the, the Roman Empire was a massive area. And a lot of those Arab nations 
uh, were conquered by Rome too. That's kind of interesting. So this would sort of make sense, and uh, we'll probably get into this deeper later on in the book of Daniel. But could it be that there are 10 kings that aren't just like Europeans as we think of them, but part of the old Roman Empire, which could include um, a confederation of nations, including some Arab nations, which would be interesting. Um, do you think Arabs and Europeans get along very well? Let me ask you this. Are some European nations becoming very Arab? I mean, uh, when was the last time you were in Londonistan? Like I, last time I was in London, it's, it's a different place. Um, a lot of the European nations are becoming very Muslim, very Islamic. Uh, Germany has been totally changed. Uh, like it's amazing to see um, these immigrants that have flooded from all these uh, Muslim nations that's changed the complexion of Europe. There's parts of England that don't look anything like British anymore and they're, the, they're more of a Sharia law uh, kind of thing. So it makes you wonder, is this gonna be, isn't it a funny imagery mixing iron, the old Roman empire, with clay? Who could that clay be? Where did the clay substance come from? Some of us believe there might be a hint about these 10 kings made of iron and clay, the feet and the iron clay. It'll be 10 confederated kings, but of not a good mixture. Question, if you wanna make something strong, do you mix a little iron and clay together to make it stronger? Did you notice in the order of the elements, gold, silver, brass, iron, the, 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 the symbols are getting lesser in value. And then you get to the iron, and then you get to iron mixed with clay. What can you make that mixes iron and clay? The answer, nothing, because it doesn't mix. And, and I think, you know, not to go into this too deeply tonight, but if you look what's going on in Europe, the mixing of the iron and clay is not happening very well. It's not a great mixture right now. There's a lot of unrest in Europe because of maybe if this imagery is talking about this mixture of people groups, part of the old Roman empire that includes Arabs and Europeans, it sort of would make sense of what we're seeing happening today. Um, but I believe nonetheless, it'll be 10 kings, like the Bible says, Daniel chapter two, and along here, there'll be these 10 horns um, that are gonna come out of the old Roman empire, out of this beast that's mentioned here. Um, and then it says, uh, there will come from among them. What? What's the them? The 10 horns. So there's gonna come this little horn and this little horn, um, as it turns out, it says, look what, look what it says there. There'll come another, a little horn before whom there were th uh, three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, we start to know who this is. Um, and, and later on in the chapter, we'll even get a clearer picture. But we know this is a man that speaks great things. Great, not meaning wonderful. Great meaning like uh, huge things, uh, uh, noteworthy or powerful things. Um, and he has the eyes of a man seeing things. And, and we believe this is none other than this coming world leader uh, that's gonna come during the tribulation period. And he's called the man of sin. He's called the son of perdition. He's called the, the antichrist. He's called the, uh, the Assyrian. Some people call him that. And the, and the Bible calls him that once or twice. Um, and there's these many names, but he's a coming world leader that's gonna be in charge or come out of these 10 kings. So you got these 10 kings, Roman empire kings, and out of the midst of them, that's where this antichrist is coming. He's not coming from the United States, by the way. So if you, those of you that just knew that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist, 
uh, I remember hearing people think that because uh, what was his address there on whatever Rodeo Drive was 666, uh, you know, something or other. They're like, the Ronald Reagan's the Antichrist. And then it was Bill Clinton. That was maybe believable, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, they always try to make this guy the Antichrist. The Antichrist. We, we won't know who the Antichrist is because read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says you and I won't know this because he won't be revealed until after the church is taken out of the way. So you and I can guess all we want. I think it's a foolish thing to try to guess who the Antichrist is gonna be and start naming people. Because there's been a lot of people really wrong about that one that have tried to guess who the Antichrist was. Uh, we shouldn't do that. Um, what is interesting by the way, and this, this gets dangerously close to guessing, but I, I do think it's worth noting, you can see certain figures that have come and gone and, and some that are still on the scene that could be the Antichrist. And you can see how the world will, you know, gobble up this Antichrist hook, line and sinker and just really follow him. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's amazing to watch in this day and age how the world will accept a world leader as awesome really quickly. That's gonna happen. The whole world is gonna be duped by this coming world leader. And they're gonna just go, this is the man we've all been wanting. The world, the stage is set right now. We've got a vacuum today all across the world for leadership. And this little horn is coming out of those 10 horns, which is somewhere in the old Roman empire. Um, he's gonna come out of that. And, and, and there's gonna be, and this is, this is just what we guess from this prophecy. There's gonna be a conflict between this little horn and three of the 10 horns. So three of the kings of the 10 are gonna go to war with this little horn and the little horn's gonna rip up those three horns by the roots. That means he's gonna kill them. Whatever nation or kings those three horns are, this coming world leader, Antichrist, is gonna rip up those three horns. That's what this imagery is telling us. Um, now, we'll talk about what these eyes are and his mouth and what he's gonna be saying. We're gonna be talking about that in a second, later on in the chapter. And we gotta hurry, because it's after eight now. Wow. Um, so keep all this tucked away. Um, now, now, in verses nine through 14, we're gonna take a little breather from what's going on down on earth. Now, this is something the book of Revelation does. Um, like Daniel, he's gonna, we're gonna zip into the, the throne room of heaven. And some people are confused by the language, especially of the King James Bible in verse nine. In verse nine it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. Now, now, when you read that, you're like, okay, those must be the thrones of the 10 kings, cast down or whatever. No, no. Uh, newer translations actually get it better on this one. When it says cast down, if you look at the original language of the, of the Aramaic and, and even the, the Septuagint, the translation of Greek, um, the, the word um, there is placed. I beheld till the thrones were placed. And, um, and then re, as we read on, and the ancient of days did sit. Anybody know why that word ancient is capitalized? Yeah, God is called the ancient of days. Do you understand that? The idea, it's an idiom of the Jews. The ancient of days is God. And the idea is that he's eternal. That's what it means, ancient of days, is that he's an eternal being. So that's the idea. So we're talking about there's gonna be these thrones placed and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow. Now, if you guys know some of your other heavenly seen passages, um, who might be sitting in these thrones that are placed, anybody? Um, some would say Jesus. Uh, also, some would say the four and 20 elders. Remember, those guys are seated on thrones as well. 
Um, so this, this is an indication we're seeing something that it, it looks familiar, especially if you're familiar with Revelation chapter one and Ezekiel chapter one. There's some similarities. Let's read on, you'll see what I mean. So the thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his, his wheels as burning fire. Where did we see wheels around the throne of God, anybody? Ezekiel chapter one and two, right? Um, yeah, uh, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Uh, the judgment was set and the books were opened. I beheld th uh, then because of the voice of the great words, which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Uh, let me read on here. We'll break all this down. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which, uh, that which shall not be destroyed. So we're following a little bit different. Remember how in Daniel two, the stone was cut without hands, came and crushed the kingdoms, set up an everlasting kingdom. That was the Daniel two version. This version starts in heaven uh, and in heaven, sitting around the throne of God with the, all the attributes we've seen from Revelation 1, Ezekiel chapter 1, about the, you know, Jesus, the depiction of Jesus with the hair white as wool. Um, you know, and and uh, it says the throne was like a fiery flame. And, and um, even as you know, the book of Revelation, by the way, what does fire speak of when it's around the throne of God? Judgment, judgment. Um, and... Um, this uh, fire stream came through and then there were thousands and thousands ministering to him and also thousands standing around the throne. I believe that could be very well us. I told you we might have a reference to us in this story uh, of the book of Daniel, but, but where are we? I believe we're in heaven because of the rapture of the church. But heaven's gonna hear what's going on down in, 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 on earth with this beast uh, that's gonna come and do its thing. Um, and so this is where it gets kind of interesting. Uh, and and we, we kind of have to take a look at maybe some scriptures from the book of Revelation to sort of understand uh, what, what's going on here. So remember, we got a gap in time. The church gets raptured, we're up in heaven. Antichrist comes on the scene, the little horn, rips out the three other horns and sets himself up to be worshiped. We know from other passages with these, this, this mouth speaking great things, he's gonna be, uh, demanding worship and the mark of the beast and all that stuff in the book of Revelation talking about this guy. But it says here, you know, in heaven, they'll, they'll see this is going on and that will spark when the Lord will return his second coming. And that's what we're seeing in verses 13 and 14. Uh, we're gonna see Christ return, set up his kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. Um, now, let's, let's go jot some of these scriptures down. I'll read them quickly. Uh, Revelation 19 in Revelation chapter 19, we have this description in verses 19 and 20. Um, it says in Revelation 19, uh, 
uh, 19. It says, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them uh, that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Um, this is the second coming of Christ. Christ is gonna come on his white horse, the Bible says. Uh, didn't the Antichrist come on a horse? It seems that he does there in Revelation 6, but he's also a duplicator and an imitator, remember that. But he's not the real Messiah. But Jesus is gonna come uh, and return. And then it says in Revelation chapter 20, this is all Revelation, same period, Revelation 20 verse 10. And it says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into like a fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. So this is the end of, of Satan, uh, the beast, uh, the false prophet, the, the unholy trinity of the book of Revelation. This is all gonna happen during what Daniel's talking about here in Daniel 7. Also, if you back up to Revelation 19, verse 11, this is the second coming of Christ. Listen to this description. Revelation 19, 11 says, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And that's Jesus. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God. Remember John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is in line with who Jesus really is. And verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed upon uh, with him upon white horses clothed with fine linen, white and clean. White linen speaks of righteousness. Who are they that will come from heaven when Jesus returns? And who will be clothed with fine white linen? Anybody wanna say that? Us, 10,000s ten ten of his saints. Those are the people we saw in Daniel 7 around the throne, ready to go with Christ when Christ returns, all described for us here. Now in Revelation, I know I'm bouncing around, but you should know these verses because this all fits with Daniel 7. Revelation 20, verse four, uh, and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark, um, his mark upon their foreheads or on their right hands. They lived and reigned with Christ 10,000, or pardon me, a thousand years. Um, interesting that <clears throat> we're told exactly what's gonna happen. Once the, you know, the rapture of the church happens, there's a seven year period called the tribulation period. The first half of that seven years is gonna be bad, but not gonna be the worst. That's gonna be where the Antichrist will deceive and make you know, peace treaties with nations, probably rip out those three nations during the first three and a half years, the first three horns we talked about. He's gonna speak great things. He's gonna woo the world to himself and everybody's gonna receive his mark. At the middle of that time, three and a half years into the tribulation, he's gonna set himself up to be worshiped. It's called the abomination of desolation, talked by Daniel and also talked about uh, Jesus in Matthew 24. Um, but as it says here, during that time, this antichrist, this world leader, the little horn, is gonna make war against the saints. Who are the saints in the, in the tribulation period? Is that us? 
No, good. The saints in the tribulation are two different people in my opinion. Uh, one is the Jews that will be saved during the tribulation. Two, it'll be the unsaved Gentiles that will accept Christ during the tribulation. I believe there will be a, a lot of those people. And maybe, Lord willing, some of your family members that knew you were one of those wacko athe Creekers that believed in the rapture of the church. And then suddenly, you know, people show up at Athey Creek and I hope there's not many people here on Sunday um, <laughs> after the rapture of the church. But they'll, where did all those people go? Oh, they're the ones, let's go back on YouTube. And oh, they got canceled on YouTube. Let's go back to their website <laughs> and see what they said with all those teachings about. And, and, and maybe some of your family members will re remember and they will believe in Christ and they will reject the mark of the beast. But as it says here in Revelation 20 verse four, they will be killed for their faith and their unwillingness to uh, receive the mark of the beast. Um, by the way, people have said the vaccination is the mark of the beast. No. It's not, it's ridiculous. But, but, the way they're trying to cram the, the vaccine down everybody's throats and the way they're doing this, you can kind of see how they're gonna make people not be able to buy or sell. Like, you know, some of us, you know, some of the people in our culture now are wondering, well, how, how am I gonna have a job? And their answer, you're not. Well, what if we starve? Tough bananas, get the vaccine. Well, well, what if I wanna to fly to, you know, uh, go to some other country? You can't, you can't. Like they're restricting, you can kind of see what this sort of control, but the mark of the beast will make the whole vaccine passport look like nothing. Uh, the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy or sell anything. Um, and uh, the, the goal, everybody's gonna to have to receive the mark. And if you don't, they will kill you. Um, it's interesting because have you seen the hostility toward the anti-vaccination people? I mean, like, you know, there's even, I've heard stories of local hospitals, not all of them, but some of them, local hospitals where if you didn't get the vaccine, they pretty much say, yeah, we don't have enough beds for you since you're not vaccinated. Um, you know, we're not gonna give you care. But what, what happened to, what do they call it? The Hippocratic Oath? Like whatever happened to that? Like, um, you know, uh, we're seeing some kind of mean, brutal stuff happening with this. It's only just kind of a foreshadow, I think, of future things. But I wasn't going to talk about that and I'm running out of time. <laughs> so, so, um, so back to Daniel 7, we've got this, uh, this, you know, uh, period where the rapture of the church is gonna happen, then you see us in heaven, verses nine through 12, and then you see the second coming of Christ where he's gonna set up his kingdom and have dominion. Now, back, to, back uh, to verse 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, shaken to the core is the idea there. And the visions of my head troubled me and I came unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Now these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. But um, verse 18, the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So that's a real high level of synopsis. There's beast kingdoms, and then the saints are gonna come with Christ, and they're gonna have an everlasting kingdom, the end. Like that, that's a pretty big, verses 15 through uh, 18 is a real quick summary. Uh, then, uh, verse 19, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the 10 horns that were in his head and of the other which came up, 
and before whom three fell, even of that horn, which had eyes and the mouth speak very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and even the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Daniel is um, confused by this whole thing and you would have been and I would have been too, especially during his time period. But he's sharp enough to know, man, there's something about that last beast, something's big there. He gets it. What's the deal with the, the, this little horn and the three horns and what's, what's going on there? He's, he's sort of asking that question. And he's saying, what's this, this little horn that's gonna speak great things and all this? Um, and then he says, verse 21, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high um, and the time came at the saint, uh, that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus, he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break in pieces. And the 10 horns out of this kingdom are the 10 kings that shall arise and another shall rise after them and he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings. So Daniel's getting it. These horns, it's a leader. The, the little horns, another king's gonna rip the other. He's getting sort of this interpretation that we just went through. But what will this little horn do? Now this is verse 25, gives us some detail. Um, what's he gonna do? It says, verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Now this is familiar for you prophecy buffs. Three main things here that we see spoken of this antichrist character. Number one, he's gonna speak against the Lord. Um, it says here, he shall speak great words against the most high. The word great is in italics because it's not really in the original text. It's, it's basically his words will be against God. That's, that's what he's gonna do. By the way, do you get a sense that that's not even a big deal anymore? Because people do that all the time. Comedians joke against God. Leaders talk about you know, how goofy it is that people believe in God. Um, people even are speaking on behalf of God um, uh, today when they, you know, who was it? Was it the governor of New York? Did you guys hear that one? Woo, whoa, Nelly. Uh, it's amazing to me what people think they're saying about putting words in God's mouth and stuff. Um, but we're, we're living in a strange day where speaking against the Lord is popular and hip. And the Antichrist is gonna come and just blow everybody else away with that. That's how much he's gonna be given to speaking out against the, the most high God. The second thing we read here in verse 25, he's gonna wear out the tribulation saints. Remember the Jews and the Gentiles that come to Christ, that, that, that are gonna come to Christ, especially in the last half of the tribulation. And then thirdly, uh, seek to change the times and laws. Um, now this is an interesting thing because um, one of the great, um, how do I say this? Uh, one of the great evidences of Jesus making a difference, did Jesus turn the world upside down? Yes. Um, and there's so many ways we can number. One way is the times and laws were changed. Like it's an amazing thing that our, most of the world goes off a time system that's centered around Jesus Christ. That's interesting. Um, many of the laws and morals that we've had traditionally in the world come from actually a biblical sort of worldview and a biblical perspective. Um, but uh, one of the things this Antichrist is gonna do is try to change that whole thing. 
And what's interesting to me is, you know, when you, whether you're looking at the World Economic Forum or Bill Gates or um, the powers that be Soros and stuff, and there's all these groups and powerful people they're trying to change stuff. And one of the things they're always talking about is the new normal and we're never gonna return back to normal and all this stuff. One of the things we've talked about in our prophecy updates is there's gonna be a massive shift in the world to globalism. And that's, that's what the Bible predicts, economic, religious, unity around the world. And it's gonna be around this one world government, a new world order. The Bible talks about that. It's the Antichrist, this world leader is gonna change everything to come to a culmination of that ultimate globalism. And that's what he's gonna do, changing times and laws as it relates to um, uh, the whole world, globalism. That's what this Antichrist is gonna do. He's gonna be the fulfillment, uh, I think, of what a lot of people are hoping for, globalism today. Uh, Antichrist is, they're all looking for that right now. The world is primed right now. The coronavirus and the pandemic and all this stuff, it's all priming for a one world system, a one world government. I believe it's very clear uh, that they're trying to bring it all together. We are the world, you know, kind of thing. Uh, the Antichrist is gonna be the culmination of that. Uh, and notice here, it says uh, he will uh, be given time to do that. And how long will he have? Well, it says here, time, times, and the dividing of time. We've gone over this before. Um, this is none other than one is time, two is times, uh, half is the dividing of time. So three and a half years. Remember, tribulation, seven years. The first three and a half years, Antichrist is gonna deceive and bring his whole thing together. The last three and a half years, he's gonna be seen for who he is by the Jews and the new believers in Christ. And he's gonna make war against the saints and do all these horrible things in the last three and a half years. Uh, by the way, um, uh, there's plenty of scriptures that defend that this time, times and a half time is three and a half years. Uh, I went through this, wasn't this a few weeks ago? I, I went, went over this pretty in detail. But I give you scriptures right here. Daniel 12, 7, Dan, uh, Revelation 12, 14, Revelation 13, 5 talks about, I love the Revelation 13, 5 one because it says time, times and a half time. And then it says three and a half years, 1,260 1, you know, days or whatever the, you know, it's like it gives it all in detail. So we know what this is referring to from other scriptures, okay? Um, and that's important. So, this, this verse 25 is giving us new detail about who this antichrist and coming world leader uh, will be, okay? Well, we go on in verse 26. But the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Notice who the kingdom is given to. It's kind of an interesting thing here. Shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Um, remember how the Bible talks about how you and I get to rule and reign with Christ? Like there's part of the everlasting kingdom that's gonna be set up for those that believed, those that followed Christ. They're gonna have a role as part of the kingdom being given to us to rule and reign with him. But everybody's gonna follow after him uh, and all dominions will serve and obey him, Jesus. Verse 28, hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, the, my cogitations much troubled me and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Don't you love Daniel? Man, he's like, oh, beasts and ribs and 
uh, man, I could go for some food right now. Uh, no, he didn't say that. He's, he's like, man, I, I, this is confusing. And I don't know what this is really all about. I know there's some kings and kingdoms and I get that the, the fourth beast is more terrible than the others, but what in the world's going on? And it just troubles him, and, but he just tucks it away and uh, keeps the matter in his heart. And uh, I love that about Daniel. And he went about the king's business. We learn about that in the next few uh, chapters. Look at the end of chapter eight, verse 27. This, is, this will be the end of chapter eight, verse 27. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business and I was astonished at the vision, but no one understood it. So chapter eight's gonna be even worse. Daniel walks away from chapter seven, oh, tuck it away in my heart. And he walks away from chapter eight, he gets like vomit sick and, and, he, and, and he says, man, nobody understands anything about chapter eight. But we're gonna, we're gonna be able to understand what's going on in chapter eight because we're closer to the end and it's gonna be kind of fun. So we'll see you next week in chapter eight. Lord, how thankful we are um, for your word. And, and Lord, prophecy is so interesting because um, we get a sense from your word um, that we are living in those last days. Um, we see the stage set for a world leader and, and to um, deceive many and to speak words against you. And um, Lord, your word tells us so much about these times that it's starting to come together. And while the world thinks the world is falling apart in so many ways, we see how everything's falling into place the way you preordained, the way that you have uh, told us in your word. So I pray that in light of that, that we'd be busy about your work, Lord, and just tuck these things away in our hearts and serve you uh, until the day of the rapture, until the day we die. Lord, just, just serve you faithfully, sharing the good news of the gospel that people might be saved. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your church and, and just blessing as we study this book. Um, Lord, that to know that you're coming and you're gonna rescue us from the, the judgment that's coming on this earth. Lord, we look forward to that day. Until then, Lord, be honored, be glorified in your church, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.